Reload. There we go. And we're off. <laughs> oh, God. Here we go. Reload. Oh, sound off. Good evening. Welcome to another rare digger moment with fish on Friday. Welcome one and welcome all. Cheers, Bruce. It's been a, a strange week. Um, <laughs> it's very strange. I'm just, I'm just knackered at the end of this one. I had my usual um, really good Monday and Tuesday was rubbish. And uh, Tuesday was one of those kind of like, oh, make it all, just fuck off, right? Moments. And now, uh, and then Wednesday, I had a very silly moment. Um, the album arrived. Damn, wait a minute. Come in. For forgot one of my props. Weltschmerz. New album from Fish. Very good. Very good. Weltschmerz. Fish. The Digipack arrived. I got 30 of them, which is kind of, it was the advanced kind of print, just so I could get a look at it, but we've, we won't be getting them in until a lot later. So I've coiled off, because we don't have the space, for one thing. So yeah, there's the Digipack. All reversed out and mirrored stuff. And it's pretty cool. And the booklet. Page after page of lovely lyrics. Yeah, so that arrived on Wednesday, which was good. That kind of buoyed me up a bit. And um, and I had a big uh, interview with Jerry Ewan for Prog Magazine because I'm on the front cover on the the edition that's coming out kind of end of August. And um, so I've I've done a thing where, where Prog is part of the, the, the promotion kind of campaign. That it's just like about a 40 minute interview with Jerry and it comes out and it's all linked in with the site and things. It's really different. I mean, I can remember when I had Dick Brothers, uh, the Dick Brothers label, and that was running, and when Suits came out. We just bought paper ads all the time, and there's just paper ads are becoming less and less, so like nowadays we're kind of setting up banners and buying this and da-da-da for just digital stuff, and it seems a bit strange and bloody expensive. It's, uh, I mean, this is the second run. I mean, this is why the pre-orders work now, because the money we're coming in for the pre-orders is helping readdress the bank balances and at the same time it's providing the war chest. Because we now, I now have to kind of buy promotion and work out what papers and, and it's strange. I mean, um, there's been talks, you know, just in, in the papers this week about um, advertising revenue in the, the UK following by, by it was one and a half billion or something, it's a crazy figure. 
And, um, and you're aware, I'm aware of prog rock and classic rock, and you know, there's journalists involved at the back. I mean, I took a, a, a paid for subscription to Edinburgh the News, and um, I, it was um, for that very matter that, you know, there's a lot of people, online press, and like I said, it's the same with, with, with us musicians and writers and everything. You know, it's uh, nothing's free, you know, and um, people have got to be paid. So, like I said, by buying these adverts, I'm kind of aware that it's keeping the magazines alive because I think, you know, print is, is, is still important. I, I still prefer to, to read, you know, an issue of Prog Magazine or Classic Rock or whatever. And, um, and luckily, you know, they're kind of like us in that um, they have a, a big subscription service. So, I mean, if, you, um, if you're thinking about it and you do buy the mags at TV, station, uh, TV stations, uh, train stations, whatever, then, uh, and you like it, then copper subscription, because I know there's a lot of deals going on at the moment. But as I said, so, you know, that's kind of like where I'm at now. So you're buying ads and working out, does the quarter page ad in such and such a magazine in southern Germany that goes out to 18,000 people, go, is this, do we get this or do we do that? And it's the brain ache and I hate it. And uh, like I said, Monday was dealing with that. Tuesday was, Tuesday and Wednesday, Tuesday was crap. Wednesday was, like I said, Jerry Ewan, and it was great to see Jerry again. And, uh, and have a good now. And, um, you know, the usual subject matters were up. I mean, uh, live gigs, etc. Some people have been writing in going, that, yeah, there's issues with the live gigs on the site and everything and the Facebook page. In all honesty, it'll get sorted, but it's not first and foremost in our minds at this moment in time. Um, with, you know, with the touring not happening until next year and possibly not even until mid of next year, um, the dates were not kind of... It, our resources have been used in other things. and um, But it's like I said, Jerry and I were talking about that and, and seeing about, he was talking about the magazine and about how, you know, they've got a big chunk of space to fill in now because not only, you know, all the live reviews that don't exist anymore, and at the same time, there's all, they've lost so much advertising revenue because they used to take a lot of ads in for gigs and, and from promoters and they had standing, uh, standing orders with a lot of different venues that are now kind of not happening. So it's, uh, it's, you can see where this is all striking off down the line. And um, so getting the ads done is a big one. But on Wednesday, we had uh, on Wednesday, on top of the Prog Rock interview, I went to the hospital again. It's part of my never ending tour of Scottish hospitals. Uh, this week was, uh, the venue was the Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. And, um, I had to go in for a, a scan on my shoulder, on this shoulder. It's, uh, I've torn a tendon in there like months and months and months ago, like probably December, January, I've just forgotten. And I, I just, I hate it because I can't sleep at night because of my shoulder. People, anybody that's had rotator cuff problems and things, you know exactly what I'm on about. And um, so I sleep like a kind of like a, a live kind of shrimp on a Japanese teriyaki grill. That's kind of like how I describe it. It's like you're just flipping all night, you know. Side and side, and then we'll go over, and then we'll do, you know, the frying fish, that's what it's like, you know. So, Wednesday, the album arrives, Digipack. I've got an MRI scan, another one, it's about my third, fourth one in the last couple of years. And, um, and of course, the MRI scanner was, in fact, one of the big influences on the song that was called Grace of God, or that is called Grace of God. And um, Grace of God, the lyric was very much kind of um, 
based around observations that I had at the Royal when I was in, when I had sepsis in, in 2019. But um, the MRI scanner, the last time it was an MRI scanner was for this other shoulder, I think it was. And when I went into the scanner, they said, you know, do you, do you want to hear something on the headphones? And I said, well, what have you got? And they said, we've got ABBA. And I thought, do I really want to listen to Dancing Queen while it had been in an MRI machine. MRI scanner, right, for those who don't know, it's like it's a it's big magnet thing, right? The original one, by the way, is in Aberdeen, which I'll come to later on. But anyway, MRI scanner, you basically go in and you're fed into this kind of tube and it's got electromagnets all around and stuff. And um, it, it basically, you can image all these different areas and the different levels of the damage. So I'm back in an MRI scanner, but the first one, when I went in with the, the headphones with no ABBA on them, well, I didn't wear the headphones. I went, I'm going to listen to the music and take it like a man. And um, so I went in and listened to The Machine. And um, it was like a Tangerine Dream album. It was like a German electronic rock album for the 1970s. And it had rhythms, and because, you know, I, I, I always wanted to be, I wanted to be a drummer when I was younger. I want, believe it's true, I want to be a drummer. Do! <laughs> you got a kit to carry around. A microphone. And, um, so, I, when I hear rhythms, I can hear rhythms within them, and I can build stuff within them, and, and things like that. And when I heard the MRI scanner, when I asked the guy, uh, he said, oh, it's too dangerous to take a phone in, right? He said, like, because I said to him, when I, I did a follow-up, you know, take the phone and go, no, 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 there's the website with all the samples on it, of different scanners. So I went, oh, great. And I went, came back, went in the back of the control room and found this MRI scanner kind of sound. And Steve and Robin were working at the front of the studio. So I was going like, oh, this is great. I really want to use a rhythm of the scanner. And this, I've got this, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I sent it on the computer, down in a file to the front of the studio, and Steve put it up. And it was exactly the same rhythm Right, or Robin's rhythm guitar worked perfectly with the MRI scanner. It was the same rhythmic thing. And not only that, it was in the same key. And it was like, it's a sign. So, grace of God happened. Wednesday night, I'm back in the Royal. I'm going to the MRI scanner. And the guy goes, do you have, any, do you have anything you'd like to listen to? Do you have your own CD to play? And I went, actually, I do. Here's... Velchmerz, the new album by Fish, totally incredible. And I gave him Velchmerz, and I went on, went into the machine, duh, fully clothed, which was kind of weird, because previously I'd always had to wear a gownie. So I went in, wearing my, my T-shirt, and my jeans, well, not my jeans, but I had, yeah, I had my jeans, because it was like they were doing the shoulder, right? So um, I went in and put the headphones on, and it started... And the song started, Grace of God. And it was absolutely, totally and utterly insane being inside an MRI scanner, listening to a song that you kind of written about an MRI scanner and about a guy with an MRI scanner while the MRI scan's going on. And it was great because actually it started to come together. It was like, I'm the before the do, 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 ba, 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 do, do, da, 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 da. And it's, it's all going, it's just brilliant. A big smile on my face. And I came out of the MRI scanner and the first thing I said to the guy was, listen mate, it's just, I think your scanner's out of tune. It's a wee bit sharp. <laughs> and it's very high in the mix. So that was my Wednesday. So I don't get the results back for another seven days. So, 
seven to ten days so and then I'll find out what's going on and then I'll have another appointment and they'll say well this is what we're going to do but I mean I'm kind of resigned to the fact knowing recognizing that what's happening in this shoulder is exactly what happened in that shoulder I'm going to have to get an operation at some point so you never know and if we're still doing this in months to come, then, you know, you could be like, you know, hi, this is Fish and Friday, live from the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh. Here's the grace of God. <laughs> Nuts. Uh. Right, um. Fabrice Pemin, Fish. I'm very good, thank you. Welcome. Simon Farquhar, uh, Bob Falk, Mandy Bray, Brain. They are noisy, they are very noisy, MRI scanners. Uh, Christian Martin, hello from Sweden. Kevin Thompson, they let they let me take a CD in last time you went for an MRI. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I was on about. Default tangerine dream. It did sound like a tangerine dream album. I once freaked myself out when I was a kid, when I was about maybe, I must have been about maybe 16 or something, 17. And my mum and dad were away and I was left alone in, in, in this, the big house in Glebe Street, Omon. And I, I put on uh, tangerine dream uh, Atom, right? And there's a track in it called Van, which means scream. <laughs> and I was going, I was going about the house. I was just tidying stuff up or something, right? And this whole album filled the house, and I completely freaked out. It was like I was like upside a total like, there's somebody here, something in the house, and it's evil. <laughs> Reed Clark, hello. I said the. Laura Bittman Ward, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tusa de Martini, Laura Bittman Ward, remix of songs from Era MRI. Edgar, I'll be good at remix. The MRI remix, bo, 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 cradle, bo, 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 bo. Does an MRI scan really make a lot of noise? Yes, it does. It makes a hell of a lot of noise. It's really, it's, it's, but I loved it. It's, it's, I just looked at it when I first went in, when I first heard the scanner, I just went, this is kind of cool. I kind of get off on this. But like I said, I just sat there and made songs up. Close oh. oh. shoot, Arthur Philip Delchi, Tim Sycamore, hello, Linda Dublin, hi again, John Brilly, Olaf Pazbila, right? Saying greeting to Joe Schwenk. Hi, Joe. Mark Stoughton, 7 to 10 days. Oh, yeah. I can't, it was bad, a brilliant one the other night. It was a friend of mine that works for Razzmatazz who are our merchandisers. Hello there, guys. And um, uh, he said, I've got a mate. He said, could you, could you really phone him up? It's his 50th birthday. It's really special, right? And he was in Blackburn, right? And it was his 50th birthday. And he's, I think he's watching this because I know he watches Fishing Friday. He's going to be going, oh, no. Yes. Um, Andy Whitehead. Hello, Andy. Are you sober <laughs> today? Andy Whitehead, right? My, my mate. I was Tim Preston at Rasmussen. I said, can you phone Andy Whitehead? That was 50. So, and I, was, I went through the whole day and I'd forgotten in Simona and I'd had a couple of glasses of wine. I drank the Erdinger alcohol for you on this because you don't want me on you when I'm pissed. <laughs> so um, anyway, he, phones, he phoned up and says, he said, can you phone this guy up? And Simona's going like, you've got to remember to phone a guy up. Remember to phone a guy up. And it's about seven o'clock and I thought, I better phone him up now. I've got to phone him up, right? And I went, did you, hi Andy, how are you doing? And then I sung him happy birthday, then the phone, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday. And I'm going, how are you doing, Andy? He goes, going, great, great. 
I said, so, you know, da da da, um, you're, you're now in lockdown in Blackburn, are you? Yeah, 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 50th birthday, it must be really mental. He goes, yeah, it's rubbish, you know, and he's he's going like, I'm, uh, I said, you know, so, you know, what are you up with? I'm here with my family, and it's all really cool. I see you, what are you doing? I'm drinking whiskey. And then it was like, yeah, you kind of go, I'm drinking, I'm drinking whiskey, whiskey, I'm drinking, I'm drinking lots of whiskey, me, I'm drinking. So we're talking away, and after about five minutes, he goes, who is this? <laughs> He's got a complete stranger saying happy birthday down the phone. Gets involved in a five-minute conversation and goes, who is this? <laughs> Says this fish melted, right? So anyway, he was a, he was a happy boy yesterday, but he was he was definitely, he, he's, um, being in lockdown, I really felt for him, you know what I mean? But he was definitely like on the arc of a curve, so to speak. So and he, if there's anybody in Blackburn or Darwin that's finding a lot of other people's mail in the post and like, you know, it's a bit of a mess at the moment. It's uh, basically his fault and uh, blame famous grouse or whatever it is he's drinking. <laughs> but nice to talk to you last night, Andy. Uh, hi, John Smith from Diamond Tree. Steve Bizet, get a machine in for the tour. Yeah, yeah. Cliff Brenner, hi, Darren Gelder, Sheffield, Shane Kelwick from York, Martin Daniels. Uh, Martin Daniels had an MRI and got out after it five minutes. I can understand. I mean, it is, it's a very claustrophobic procedure, you know. And the, the guy you may or may not know who did the, the, the voiceover on the MRI scanner, that was the other thing, the weird thing on Wednesday night. Because Tony Hellerwell, my, my old friend, did the, the voiceover. He's an ex-medical person, right? And, um, and so Tony did the voiceover, like, keep your hands inside the machine. Like, he's got one of them voices where, you know, you do what he says kind of vibe, you know. And then when I heard the voice, when, when the, the radiographer was, was um, taking me in the other day, it was like, you know, was obscure. you missed that bit. <laughs> Tony said that in the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah Chris, you, Chris Harris, you don't have to hold your breath in the MRI scans, yeah. Remember TVM with Rusty Lee? Yeah, I do. Oh, by the way, it was, I just saw a thing before I, I kind of came on air, right? And, um... There's talk, right, that I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. It's going to be in Scotland. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, I think it was the host on the Good Morning TV show said, oh, they couldn't do it there. It's too dark. <laughs> it's too dark. Look at that. That's no dark. Fill by the summer. You never get any bloody darkness up north. But yeah, so uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here in Scotland. It's like... And the, the thing that I wonder about is, like, you know, when it comes to, like, the, the day of the, the Bush Tucker trials and stuff, it's like, you know, what Scottish food could you possibly, you know, or what Scottish things could you possibly find that haven't been eaten already? Here's your deep-fried Mars bar. Oh, no, deep-fried Mars bar! A haggis, right? You know, here you are, there's some awful... They say i got lamb's kidneys and liver and stuff and intestines. Right, well wrapped up in a, a cow's intestine. There you go, right? Oh no, I can't eat that. Eat it all the time. It's like, there's a, a thing, I can't remember one of the films, uh, it said that all Scottish food is based on a dare, right? So I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, there's gonna have to go some way to finding things up here that aren't already on menus at restaurants. <laughs> but yeah, it could be quite fun, but I'm not doing it. No way. I actually, I was, um, I was I did an audition for it. I went. I was asked to come down to meet the team, right? and uh, 
I'd been convinced by a friend of mine, like, oh, like, and at the time, you know, I could I could have done me some wedge, to be honest, I was pretty busted. And uh, and I went down and it was like, I, I, during the, the kind of the, the conversation, I just went, I don't want to be here. And you kind of knew that, you know, the way the programme had been going, it had become more and more like a torture chamber, you know, and it was just a case of like, making celebrities look complete idiots most of the time, you know, and, you know, putting them through things that, you know, I just, nah. So I swore a lot, right? <laughs> so that really put them off. I just effed and seed all the way through the, the, the entire interview. And I kind of, we couldn't put him on. <laughs> I just said, I'm not jumping out. And the face was like, well, I'm jumping out of planes, you know. Didn't even ask me to do a parachute jump, no manies, right? So it was a, uh, yeah, so, but I'm a celebrity, get me out of here in Scotland, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, Alan Berger, I, uh, MRI's Rock, yep, had many. Uh, Andy McIntosh, hi Tosh, thanks for the questions, I got them, so, not answered any yet, as you've seen. Uh, no. John Thomas, Raymond Van Dyck. It is, it's hot here. It's going to be a mental weekend, seemingly. We've had kind of, the weather here has been kind of weird. You know, you get these flashes of amazing sunshine and then downpours. And uh, But I mean, um, and this weekend, I mean, after after tonight, I'm just going to chill out. We're watching Mrs. America. If you've not watched it, it's really interesting. It takes a, a, a bit of head work, you know, it's keeping keeping your eye on the bouncing ball, you know. But it's it's really good. And, um, oh, I remember the name before it came on. What was it? Dana, what's the actress got called? Got there. Um, I'll get it later. But she's absolutely... Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett's absolutely brilliant in it. Very imposing, very imposing lady. And uh, it's a very interesting film about that time in, in the late 60s, 70s, and um, just about women in America. I think it's, it's another one of those things where I watch it and you see all the tactile stuff going on and it's like, you know, guys putting their arms around secretaries and da-da-da and little clicks and you go, well, I remember when it used to be. I mean, this is like, whoa, nowadays, whoa. But back then, I mean, I can kind of remember it and nobody questioned it. It was, uh, you know, you just thought, I mean, I remember in my dad's garage, it was kind of, you know, what went on, you know, and it was, you know, it was, it's a very... It's a good series to watch. Very good series. Very big eye on that. Yeah. love haggis in a drama over it? As do I. I love it. Oh, here's the three-legged dog. Yeah. You think I'm joking, don't you? Yeah. Aaron K. We're good, thank you. Ray Rooks. Rudy Uribe. Saludos, fish. Desde Mexico. Thank you very much. Gracias. Mm. Dave Hall, nothing wrong with haggis. I love haggis. Tripe. Now, wait a minute. Now, come on. This. Hi, Fish. Is there any decent fish and chip shops in Harrington? Yeah, there's loads. Um, Dino's is really good in Harrington. Uh, we tend to get ours from the, um, the uh, from down Long Nidri. Down the, the Super Fry down there. They do pretty good pizzas as well. It's easier for us. It's on that side of the town. Oh. Claire Wilcox, I love Angus and I'm a veggie, right? I take it it's the vegetarian Angus, right? Because I think being a veggie and eating real Angus, you may have a problem there. Check out the ingredients. Bob Hoff, cool. Stefan Bringhoff, uh, the German connection, I'll deal with that another time. 
Let's move on. So that was that was Andy. This is Erdinger. Cool, cool, cool. This is Veltschwarz's album, new album by Fish. Absolutely pretty, fantastic. Right. A couple of, this is, uh, I like the kind of these off the wall kind of questions, right? And Justin Wigan, right? He said, is Chelsea Monday your nod to Ian Curtis' Enjoy Division? It's not, but I can see exactly where you're coming from. And I did like uh, Joy Division. I found them quite proggy. Actually, they were kind of like I said. I mean, I liked the Tangerine Dream stuff, and I liked Floyd and, and all the rest of it. And you know, they seemed to fit into that thing. And S Simona, she was a big Joy Division fan as well when she was younger. And the Closer album I had, and I actually used to wear it. I actually got a, a T-shirt. I think it was on the Script for Jester's Tear promo tour, right? Because <laughs> but listening to albums that you've made. Right? I remember on the on the script tour when we went out and the Market Squares tour, we had all these signings to do at record shops and things. So like, what would happen was that like, you'd you'd be doing a gig in in Nottingham, and then you'd you'd arrive in the town, and then you'd be dusted off for the the lunchtime session at the at the record store, you know. So hi Liam, and. Uh, we used to have to go to these record stores, and you'd do it every gig. There'd be a record store every day, even on days off, there was record, and you used to go in there, and there'd be a queue of people outside, and I'm sure some of you have stood in those queues, right? And we used to go into the store, and you'd get your wee curly sandwiches and stuff, right? And back in those days, you were always going on at the record reps, because it's like the email record rep, going like, can, can we get some albums, right? <laughs> can we get albums, free albums, swag, can we get swag? Swag is anything free you can p pick up on, on the road. Radio stations, everything, swag. Uh, <clears throat> I used to have wardrobes full of swag. But back in the day in, 80, in 83, when the script came out, you'd go into the back of the store, with, you'd be with Paul Lewis, the tour manager, or Gary Townsend or whatever, right? <clears throat> and um, you had to sit there. And they'd put on script and you'd sit there. And of course, there's five of you. So like, the queue was like, it just slowed by and stuff. It was before the days of iPhones, thank God. Right, and people would you might have a little Kodak throwaway or something like that, right? And occasionally, like somebody coming with a big posh one, right? But there was never really any focus. You just sign in there, go like Peter Wabas, Ian Mosley, oh, fish, Ian Mosley, Stephen Rothery, right? The, the scribbles by the time we got further down the line, that their, their signatures became shorter and more <laughs> ineligible as the years went by. But back in script days, you used to go in and your album was on and they'd play it once <coughs> and you could be in there for an hour and a half and you suddenly it'd go on again. And once you've done that for about a week and a half, two weeks, you know, you kind of get, I, I got a little bit bored with hearing script, I have to admit, right? So we used to ask, after you played it once you'd see, and, and you were getting to, you'd gone past the halfway mark of the queue, you said, could you put on something else, right? And I remember in, in the... In vigil days, it was uh, um, it was Pearl Jam. And it was uh, Pearl Jam had just kind of like come to the fore, and uh, I can't remember. There was a couple other ones I used to get played, but back in '83, that was when I picked up a T-shirt as part of my swag from the nice EMI rep. Who basically you put him in a position where he had to give away kind of free albums. So like the guy behind the guy that owned the store, he said, "Okay, 
give me a box of Marillion albums for free and the guys can have some free albums. So like we didn't give a shit, we were getting the royalty was rubbish. You know? Yeah, give away twenty albums. Yeah, we'll take these. You know, these are worth more of us. And we used to every now and again we would we'd get lucky, you know, it was great when I went solo because it was just me, you know. So it was like can I have that? Yeah, yeah, no problem. What ten copies of Vigil? Yeah, you know. Sell sold them in the Buckshees part of the shop, right? But um yeah, so I got a Joy Division shirt and I used to wear it and you'd, you'd see it in some of the, you can still see it in some of the old photographs, some of the ones that Steve Rothery took for, that's on his um, photo book, right? You can, the, the Joy Division, I loved the cover, I just really liked it, but, it was, um, but yeah, Joy Division, so. Well, uh, de Martini, yeah, Bill Davis. Mar Marcello Sols from San Paolo. Hello, how are you doing out there? Sounds right. It's Mark Palmer, how you doing, mate? I've got something for you up here, mate. Got something up here for you. I'm supposed to be delivering it. Right. Uh, potted hock, Scott Donaldson, that's good. I bought some potted hock today because I'm kind of... I'll be putting bits in the freezer. I'm kind of thinking ahead here. You know, it's the prepper in me coming out. And, you know, you've seen France go up to 30%, Norway shutting down and blah, 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 and this and that and the other. And, and <clears throat> you see everything happening in the States. And you kind of go, second wave's looking kind of like, lightly. I'm sorry, I'm not being doom-mongerer, but like, you know, like I said, Aberdeen at the weekend, you know, lockdown now, you know. And it's just ping, 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 ping. I saw in the news that Preston's gone as well. So, uh, or there have been new limitations put in Preston. But I mean, uh, yeah. But I mean, Aberdeen, just to jump to that, it's, um, there's two Aberdeen football players were tested positive. And it's like, they went out with seven or eight teammates or something, or people for the club. I went out at a bar after the Rangers game that they got beat in, right? Why? You know? It's... <sighs> you know, part of the Tuesday down vibe was that, like, you know, you're going like, Jesus, you know? I can't do anything until that R rate, until everything's kind of under control, you know? And even when it's under control, we're still going to be dealing with, you know, different issues, you know? But, you know, when you've got Aberdeen football players who have been told, you know, social distance, wear masks, and they go out to a pub in Aberdeen, right? And now the St. Johnston match that they're supposed to be playing is cancelled. And they are lucky to get away, to, to get away with not losing the three points for that match, right? But it's like, you know, the football players are getting tested twice a week. So, you know, it just sets a bad example. You know, that's all I'm saying, you know. And as, as, as I'm on about, you know, as Radar, low Radar, as, um, as Radar said, you know, Manchester, you know, he, he, he told me a week and a half, two weeks ago, said, you know, I'm looking out the window and there's bars and stuff and nobody's giving a damn. And it's like, just wear a mask. You know, it's not a big deal. It's like, you know, you know, as people, I'm not, I'm not going to be told to wear a mask. It's like, you know, we're still here. I'm still not gigging. And uh, this place is getting locked down, you know. And they were locked down in Aberdeen. And it's obvious, there was things on this question time when they were talking about, oh, well, why are, why are bars and things being shut down first? Because it happened in bars, right? And it's people drinking speaking loudly, spreading mucus, blah, 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 around. You know, you get a wee bit drunk, you forget to, to keep your distance up, blah, blah, blah. You know, you, oh, mate, how are you doing? Uh, bang, bang, bang. 
right? And it's, you know, that's the problem. That's why they had to get shot down. And it's like, if we're gonna, you know, people are going, oh, lockdown, get pissed off about this. It's like, if we all behave, then things can ease off. If we don't behave, things just get tightened up again and it has to be done, you know? Um, enough of that. Pavel Strag, hello from Poland. Nick Bull, love your Bernie Keith interview. Yeah, there was a, an interview you can see. I did a, an, an interview with Age UK on, and it's on the, the, the Facebook timeline, and it was, it was really good. And I'm enjoying talking about Weltschmerz and, uh, you know, doing the big, the big interviews. It's like, because we're able to go into areas that, um, you know, you can't normally do. I mean, I've been doing a lot of the BBC local stations, and, uh, you know, I mean, they're like, bang, bang, bang. I did. Grant Stott on BBC Scotland just the other day. That was uh, on Thursday, and that was a, a great wee interview. Bam, you know, you know, I, I kind of got versed in, in doing this kind of stuff. I think especially where, where um, when you're doing radio interviews and it's such a you got such a short time to get across. You know, I mean, back in the old days, you talk bollocks, and then somebody go, "Well, that's the end of you," and you've not mentioned your album, and you've not mentioned this, you've not mentioned the tour date, and it's like, oh, so you know, nowadays when you you. I learned through the years. You know, it becomes a bit of an art, kind of doing interviews, and um, I've been able to talk bollocks, as you can see. <laughs> and uh, so, yes, yeah, so if you do the BBC interviews, I mean, you, you know, it's like uh, you know, there's certain things you know that Kaylee is going to be played, right? So it's, it's either before or after, right? And you're you're either when you come on the show, and it's like you know, hello, can you just hold for a couple, couple of minutes till the end of the song, and we'll be right with you. Ding, 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 ding. And it's like, this is, um, please welcome on the show, Fish from Marillion. And you can you, you sit on, oh, fuck, you know. <laughs> but it's bright and breezy, get the points across, blah, blah, blah. And then they play Garden of Remembrance. And Garden of Remembrance, thankfully, is, is getting, you know, quite a few plays out there. It's all very low level, but it's getting plays. And uh, I've been told that um, Tom Robinson is playing it tomorrow night on uh, Radio 6, which is brilliant. And Tom's an old friend of mine, and he's—I didn't even ask him. He's—he was asked by the uh, my my promo company, and he, he's playing it. So thank you, Tom. And that's what's about—it's just about getting radio. So if you know, yeah, you know, if you can get any requests in your local radios, then please help us out. Because as I told you last week, the impact date is not for another three weeks or something. So we need to kind of keep it going. But. Uh, Steve Bizzett, SPFL and SFA are a disgrace. Great. Uh, wear a mask, yep. Scott Simon, hi from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Dodge Morgan, Roger Morgan. Oh, Dad's jumping. Uh, John Lennigan, Jay Garrett. Greetings from Belgium. There's another one. Gregory de Wohanier. De Wohanier. De Wohanier. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. 25 to 7. Where are we going to move to? Uh... Okay, here's a couple. John Timmon. Have you heard the Pendragon New Album? No. Uh, one of the best programs ever. I know you knicker pals. Yes. From way back, Fudge Utrecht. Uh, is John Timon Fudge Utrecht? 
John Tymon, are you Fudge? Fudge Utrecht. Now, Fudge Utrecht, the really has got Utrecht at the back of it. Bedragon, by the way, uh, we knew obviously back in the marquee days and they used to support us quite a lot and we really liked them. They were, Nick always had a really nice attitude and he was a great guy to be, be around and very unassuming, very funny and we had some, we've had some great laughs together. And uh, his, his wife, Rachel, she's absolute lovely, a princess in herself. And, uh... Oh, shit, is that a pigeon in there? God! <laughs> pigeon just came through the Velux windows, live. Live from the studio at Harrington. Did it come, did the pigeon come through the kitchen? Yes. <sighs> just using this as a rat run. Right. Flying rat run. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, back to the thing. Where was that? Fudge, Pendragon, Nick, Rachel. Yeah, we met them. Uh, uh, Simona and Rachel became friends as well. I really love the way Rachel deals with things. She's just, we're, we're both cut from the same block of wood, right? And the way that we, we, we deal with things, especially like website orientated. Right? But, um, but it was great. And like I said, they came out. And then when I went out on um, the, I think the vigil tour, be the vigil tour. And we took Pendragon out, and the drummer was called Fudge, right? And the reason why Utrecht was mentioned is because we checked into the Holiday in Utrecht, right? And it was one of my one of my favourite hotels. Oh, we always stayed there, right? But they'd done a renovation on it, right? And as a singer, right, I hate those rooms that you get that have got sealed windows. So all the air in that room is basically recirculated air. I hate it. It's like, and at that particular time in Utrecht, which would have been what, 1990, uh, it must've been about March, April, 1990. Um, we'd been on the road for a bit. I was suffering. I had, my, my throat was going down. I had an infection, but I was going to have to soldier on. I had no choice. It was a, and we checked into the Holiday Inn Utrecht and they changed it and the windows were sealed, right? And I went, I can't do this, right? And I got in, and the thing was that in the bus at that time, the tour bus that was parked outside, because we had a, it was a day off in Utrecht, and the tour bus was parked outside and in the back of the tour bus, I had the back lounge set up as a double bed. You know, I was pulling rank. So I had a double bed in the back of the bus and I checked in the hotel and I went, you know what, I really, don't want to aggravate this condition anymore. And I went, I'm checking out and I'm going to sleep on the bus. And I remember walking out the room and there was suddenly paramedics and everything. And it was like, oh, fudge, fudge, fudge. And seemingly fudge had a terrible allergy to the cleaning products that were being used in the hotel. And he checked in his room and basically had a serious, serious episode, right? And the paramedics, and I think he was actually taken away to hospital for a checkup, and um, he had to move to a different hotel or something. It was like, it was quite weird. He was a lovely bloke, but he, it was, we just, and Nick, Nick was saying, so we couldn't believe it. He suddenly like, was like, <gasps> and couldn't understand what was wrong. And it was and I had a complete allergic reaction to the Holiday in Utrecht. The other thing I always remember about the Holiday in Utrecht was they had a great little bar. And in this bar, Above, the, there was like the bar that you sat at, and then above you, about this height, there was a little train went round with all these carriages, right? 
And it used to just go round perpetually, round and round, the never-ending circle of the train and the Utrecht bar, and it's like... And the, I think they used to put drinks in it just for a bit of laughing, you know, like, da 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 whiskey for life, you're down for, you know. Anyway, we derailed it, right? And we were all sitting there, steaming, and, like, somebody went up and put something on the, on the tracks, and the whole train came into the bar. Banned. That was it. Red card, get the fuck out of here. Train line on the deck, bad boys. And that was uh, Fudge Utrecht. So that was a little story for you, brought to you by Justin Wigan. Um, uh, Edward, Edward Gillen, hi from Madrid. And Annette Garrett. Yes, 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 yes. I'm down here, I want to go down the thing. Skyrats, Pigeon Pie, yes. Robert Feenan from Dublin Island. Uh, Fudge Smith, Simon Farker. Thanks, Simon. I've got your question. I've got your question. It's just that it's a huge answer. Right? Um, Michelle Hart, I keep getting a magpie coming in the house. No, I had magpies. But actually, we had a couple of magpies at the back, and this year they disappeared. And I don't know what it is, but we've had a lot more birds appear, and magpies been notorious for going for other birds' eggs. It might be something to do with that variant and balance. John Lennon, be flying fishnecks, not through you. And we do get birds that come in here, and uh, when I used to have the cats, I used to hate it, because it's like you got a bird that fly in through the door or whatever, and they go up in the beams, and the cats would just be like looking up, like r little raptors, you know? And the cats, like, would my two cats, or one of them, Harley could get up. Um, Spike couldn't get up that high, right? They're both sadly gone, and I miss them. But Harley used to go up and go into the beams and he would jump over the beams, right? And if there was a bird up there, he'd go up and he'd, he'd start tacking it in the beams, like trying to get it cornered. And then you'd have bird shit everywhere. And oh. it's, um, it's life in the country, it's what it's all about. Uh, Wolfgang Tremel, I totally agree. Hotels where you can't open windows are rubbish. I loathe it. I really hate it. And I used to find America really difficult because, I mean, you were guaranteed that the, the, the windows didn't open because everything was air-conditioned. I hate air-conditioning, right? And um, air-conditioning, I have to get the air-conditioning switched off in a gig. If, if we're doing a gig and I can, I can feel it straight away, and sometimes the promoters the, the, or the venue doesn't switch it on until the crowd's in, and there's been times when, you know, you've, I've walked out in, into like a full hall and you walk out and you've basically got conditioned air and it's like, ah. Oh. And when you sing, no matter how much water you put down, your vocal cords just dry out. And, um, and then you end up coughing and, you know, you get the tickle in the throat when they stand together, especially if you've got nodules, which, you know, I've had in the past. And if you've got a little nodule and it starts to tickle, oh. Nodules are not deadly and like they don't have to take you completely out. You can sing through them. But when you you've got little ticks on your cords and things, but it's it's the moisture being taken out there and I just loathe it. And every time I went to America I used to always run into hassles where um where my throat were getting uh just weird sore throats, just kinda just red throat, strip strep throat, I think they call it over there. Right? Uh, uh, I missed that one. What did I think of Stephen Wilson's remix of Childhood, Liam Molnew? Mul 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 
it's pretty good. I like it. You know, it's. Uh, I like what he did to it. It was interesting. Um, so I heard. I actually heard um, Avril McIntosh and Andy's Andy Bradfield's uh, first mix of the Fugazi album, which is it's doing my nothing at the moment. You know, I've just gone through the whole Velchmers thing, and then I, was, I mean, after well, last Fish and Friday, I was listening to the, the, the five to one. Uh, the five to one mixes and watching the entire Blu-ray over the weekend. I had to watch through it twice, and um, and I've just got through that, and I've done the, the the vinyl test. You know, I've had everything else, and it was like bang! Welcome to the world of Fugazi, right? Like I really need that. We listen to Fugazi now, right? And I don't, it's, I don't know when it's scheduled for release. I know very little about it. I am a mushroom, okay. It's, uh, all I know is that the album is Fugazi and it's going to be remastered and Avril and Andy remixing it. I caught an email from Mark Kelly the other day where they were looking at uh, the Montreal Spectrum shows for the live gigs. But apart from that, I'm hearing nothing. And it's um, and on Monday, I'm going down... Monday, I've got... Dave Barris is coming here and we've got to do an interview probably out in the garden uh, on with all my Fugazi questions. So I'm like talking about Belchberts. Now I've got a reminisce about Fugazi. But I mean, but it was hearing Punch of Judy again was interesting. It was it's still that was a song that the, the finished version of it I, I'd never really liked. It, the whole rhythm thing is just so busy in it. I actually it was one of the songs, Simon Farquhar, one of the songs, right? This is what I'm saying, Simon, when it's like you know it doesn't all work generally. Punch of Judy was written as a lyric on its own. And I wrote in, as I said before about drumming and things, and how I want to be a drummer, and I've got a, a pretty good sense of rhythm or a strong sense of rhythm, right? apart from when it comes to working congas and drumsticks. That's another story. But um, the thing is that, like, with the rhythm and punch of duty, when I wrote the lyric, I kind of heard when I was writing the lyrics, I was hearing a bam, 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 bam. Bam, 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 bam. Washing machine, pinstripe dream. Strip the glass from a beauty queen. Punching Judy, boop, boop. Doo, 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 doo. And found an ass in the Daily Express. Met the vicar in a holy vest. Punching Judy, doo, doo. And then they went, whatever happened to. That's why I held, right? It didn't turn out that way. It became what was called Merillionized. And suddenly it's like, but I was Jonathan Mover that did that, right? It was when Jonathan Mover had was on the drum seat for not enough time to leave the stool. He was, um, uh, he was the one that was involved with writing that. And I just never liked it. I just always thought it was too busy. And I thought we did a really good version in the Fish Heads Club too. And we kind of, when I was working with Frank Usher, I think we got kind of back to that. So, um, but so anyway, I'm now point is listening to the Fugazi remixes in the middle of the Weltschmerz campaign and uh, and like I said it probably won't be out to next year but everything's got to be done now uh, Pierre Bellini hello Darren Robinson that's why the Liverpool Academy was like a sweat box yeah I mean you know I mean as I said just to go back to the air conditioning thing when I've walked on a stage and I've, I've, I, you can feel it because your skin gets that. You know, if you you've been you've been in a heavily air conditioned room, and you've got sweat in your skin, and you walk out and you get the itch. You know, you just you feel like you've just got that thing, and you've and with me on the head. I mean, that's where I feel it first, and you get the itchy head. 
And um, I, I mean, I've, we've asked in the middle of the set, switch off the air conditioning in the middle of the set. Oh, you can't do that. There's too many people here. Switch it off, right? So um, you got to sweat at a gig. Sweating at a gig is just the damn thing. It's like... Stuart Lemon, lost my way with your stuff after Vigil and didn't get involved again until Feast. What should I get next to start filling the gaps? I don't know. You'll get it on the timeline. I'll play you this one. Um, Credo. Credo won by uh, more than double the votes across the other one. And um, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting song. I've, I've, and the thing is, I've not heard it. Is that normally I would listen to it before I do this just to get my back. So when I actually play the song, I'll come back to it. So that um, because it's got an interesting history. Credo as a song title, I came up with in about 1987, and there was chunks of the lyric that were written then before. before for the 88 writing sessions when I left, right? And Cradle was one of those. It never moved towards music. Um, it never kind of, and it was never brought out to, to go with any music, or there was no music that I heard that the other, that the guys were writing that I felt was kind of where I saw the lyric, which was part of the entire problem at the time, right? But Cradle was a title, and I had other bits, and, uh, it don't mean nothing. Right? That came from the movie Hamburger Hill. I've always had a thing about Vietnam, and I've been there, but it's another story. But I mean, um, I always had a thing about Vietnam, and I've watched. I think I've watched every Vietnam War film at least five times. And in fact, we Simone and I watched the Apocalypse Now the other night, and it was like, wow, the editor's cut, the director's cut. It was like, wow, right? brilliant film. One of my favourites, Coppola, I was genius on that film. But I saw Hamburger Hill, which it has been suggested that it is the, it is the most realistic and the most realistic movie about Vietnam. And it is a bloody film. I mean, it is carnage. I mean, there's a couple of scenes in that where you kind of go, how did the censors let that go? I mean, it's brutal, you know? But then again, what it was portraying was a very you know, brutal campaign in that in that Vietnam War. And during the film, there's a... During the film, there's a bit where um, a platoon loses uh, a favourite and a guy who's close to everybody else. And um, one of the guys says, it don't mean nothing. And they start to do the hands. It don't mean nothing. And it's like, you know, it was the pain it was the, the pain that was being felt within, within that group of guys and they just got into this kind of mantra, it don't mean nothing, it don't mean nothing, it don't mean nothing. And everybody kind of slams hands with fists, everybody else. <clears throat> um, and I thought it was, I thought it was, a, it was a very powerful scene and it was just that phrase, just it just stuck in my head, it don't mean nothing, you know. And that was why I, I, I used it in, on, on Credo. And I knew it had to be, I wanted to be a kind of bombastic, powerful kind of drummer. I heard that, you know, 
And again, it's like Punch Judy. I mean, I was very aware of the, the, the drumming side of where that should be. And I just heard a battery of drums, you know, like, you know, you know, and then power chord, boom, right? But it was, um, it kind of sat around for a while and it was bypassed on vigil as an idea um, because I had stronger ideas at that time. Not to say that Cradle was going to be weak, but it, it, the Cradle song was in such a period of infancy. Like it was kind of like, you know, amoeba shape, big amoeba, right? And it was in the book as like, you know, this, is, this works. And Cradle, I wanted to write about religion and I wanted to... Um, It was kind of like the, the where is God, you know, it's like if there's a God, where is he at this time? It was kind of like that. And it's about people going back to their belief, cradle, I believe, right? And um, it didn't really come into that heavy growth period until after Tara was born. And Tara was born uh, 1st of January, 91. And... Uh, It was having her in my arms, and I was watching the TV, and I used to stay up. Well, I used to stay up with Tara. I mean, she wouldn't remember it, but I used to stay up with her in my arms, and uh, it was. Um, I was watching the TVs like late night news, and it was. Uh, it was Iraq. It was the whole invasion of Iraq going on, and it hit me really hard. Kind of like you know, in a in a Weltschmerz way. It was, uh, it was exactly what Velchman was about. You know, I've always been very kind of sensitive to what was going on. And I was sitting there with my daughter in my arms and watching the Iraq war. And at that time, it's like, we had uh, no idea kind of where that was going to go. I mean, that was a conflict that could have, you know, gone a lot further. And even what there was, you realised was a complete changer of the game, you know, and I was, I was very shocked. But you know, I was, I, I'd already, I'd questioned every reason for going into that war from the kickoff. You know, I was, I never believed about the the WMD or the, the OMD, <laughs> WMD OMD. I never believed about the WMD at, at, at that time, and I didn't trust the government, and. Uh, and it hit me so hard that I, I, I wanted to, to I, it came into the whole idea of the song. And I think as well, there was, I mean, the whole, that whole war, Iraq war, I mean, it was kind of, it was strange. I mean, we were getting photographs sent back of, of like, you know, soldiers like that had put company pennants on armored vehicles that were rolling into Kuwait and stuff. And it was, I think, I can't remember exactly, it was, it's, it was one of the company magazines. But it was like one of the first vehicles that rolled into Kuwait uh, once uh, that liberation had started. And when they rolled in, they went and flying, you know, company flags. And, you know, the, that kind of thing happening was just like, boom, you know, it really brought it home. And that was kind of what Cradle was. So I'm actually, I'm going to play the track and I'm going to be listening to it, probably like some of you out there for the first time in, in a long time. So... Where's the bloody remote? Okay, well. <laughs> 
just can't tell the difference anymore these days. The open looks on a water ball, a planet swings in a silent void. The options are ever fewer on the ground these days. song I said that myself I mean, you know we wrote a bit of something I forgot how good that was so, and it's interesting because that came off that difficult second solo album and uh, you know it's an album in Terminal Excel that's seen by a lot of people was being you know a, a drop down it's not as strong as Vigil which it maybe wasn't but I mean you know the songs you know yeah I remember two things I remember about this Tommy Vance, God bless him. When Tommy Vance on the Friday Rock Show played this, because it was the live shows, he played it and he said, that was so good, I'm going to play it again. And he played it, ba-bam, you know. And, uh, and I remember John Arneson, the Marilly manager, phoning me up and he said, it's a great song. He says, says if that had been a Marillion song, it would have been a massive hit. Right? And maybe it would have been if I had you know, the E-Mine machine in the name. Careful with the racks, Eugene. Instead, <laughs> someone comes in wielding an axe. What's he up to? But yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it was to hear that, but it, it was, it makes me, it, it's a great song to sing, because it's a very emotional song. I mean, it's, I think because it's got that, that constant rhythm driving it all the time. And then the choruses where it don't mean nothing. You and like I said, it was you know that inspiration between behind the, the Hamburger Hill thing and like that. It don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. It don't mean nothing. You know, just that mantra, just to get over the pain of it all. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm sitting listening to this. I was sitting listening to that. Well, listen to that just now. And I'm going, I can see there's a tie-in to, to Weltschmerz in a way. It's like, you know, and the subject matter of the song kind of is has got that brush on it, you know. And, uh, uh, yeah, was um yeah it was it's a great it was, like i said it was a great live song it was great in the medleys it was lovely to go into in the medley you when you hear it you kind of drags a little bit at the end and you know it could have benefited from being you know edited a little bit more you know and it was it was the story that did go on a bit live but then again it was it's, i love songs where you can get audience participation and you get people to, to sing it back to you and to get the crowd singing in, in the in the venue and, and get that choir going you know, that's, uh, I think every every frontman wants to get that, you know, and I think, and every lyricist loves to hear, you know, his songs back, you know, his own words being sung back at him, it's, uh, that's quite a lift, you know. Uh, John Watson, indeed, while well, like being introduced to an old friend, yeah, it's strange, and you know, the Eternal XL will be going out with a vigil album on the, on a, the remaster, so... I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I've got to maybe have a word with Callum and just see what it's like about maybe doing a, a complete remix of the album if I can get around to baking, get the tapes all baked and going through that whole palaver or trying to adjust to the new technology. Um, you know, it might be worth thinking about. I don't know. I've, it's in my head. It's in my head. And, uh, and I've, still got all the, I've still got all the vigil tapes through there. God knows what state they're in. Um, and uh, I mean, I'd love to hear Callum do a remix of Vigil. I mean, that would be ultimate. A Callum Malcolm remix of Vigil in the Wilderness of Mirrors. That would be totally awesome. But my problem is that it's still owned by Parlophone. And um, I have to give the album back. I'm trying to get sort of a licensing deal at the moment that we're still waiting on. There was another email went off. Will somebody please just sign this off, please, so we can start work, right? And um, uh, anyway, but Internal Exa will be a, a remaster. But like I said, that that cradle thing it, it, it reminds me of that period, and it was and it was it was a tough period. It was a a really tough period when when um, when that happened. It was uh, um, you know with Tara being born, and you know I had you know the fight with Marillion was still ongoing. The fight with EMI was still ongoing. I was horrendously in debt, and I've got a baby in my arms. <laughs> and it's like you're going like, wow. And what was the most important thing in that entire situation was very obvious. That was in my arms. And uh, so it's a song I always think about. It always makes you think of you know, when Tara was born. Right. Steve Jones, careful, yes. It's <laughs> Martin McGee, it's very Peter Gabriel. Oh, it's got drums on it. Uh, it's like it's, it's interesting to see how, like some people can kind of they they have a big hit album and they, they kind of corner a sound that's been kind of used. I mean, I think Paul Simon had the same thing with uh, his albums when he went into South Africa and started doing Graceland and everything. Ray Rooks, Marion Burrow, <laughs> Lee Brown. Um, 
John Yuri, you're going to perform Credo on the tour. Not this tour, but I think, you know, when I do the Farewell Tour, I mean, Credo's definitely on, on one of the set lists. As I said, when I do the Farewell Tour, I'd like to do, you know, two nights in every city that I really want to be in, in a venues that I really want to play in again or for the last time. And, you know, I want to do two sets, and, and Credo would definitely be in, in, in one of those set lists. Dave Hall, love Tommy Vance, God bless him. He was, he was a great guy and supported Marillion hugely. He was a major guy. And also, um, um, Mr. Wilson, Tony Wilson, uh, Tommy's producer, he was great in the way that he supported us. And, and it was Tony that, that gave us our first um, uh, session for the Friday Rock Show way back in, what was that, 1982. And that was a big game changer for us. That was a huge key to uh, a, a door that we needed and that enabled us to do, do, do that first Scottish tour, but that's another story. Uh. Gary F. Davies, thought it was a great album, lots of great songs, Cradle, Just Good Friends, Dear Friends, Shadowplay. Yeah, they're all strong songs, but that was what, I said this in a previous Fishing Friday, that that was why I called that collection of boys own stories, because it was this strange album with Vigil, we kind of, we had the block to carve out, but I think when I came out of Vigil and as I said, I mean, my head was spinning. My head was full of chocolate frogs at that time. And, um, you know, with that, it was, it was very difficult to get the album together. And I had to write an album, and I had to get another, another album out for Polydor. So it was, uh, it was, it was one of the most pressurised zones. And, of course, you know, it was the studio. It was the, it was the album. It was the first album that was ever recorded here in the studio. So... We were dealing with Chris Kimsey and Thomas Steeler were having to deal with all the gremlins of the studio at the same time. So it was, it was kind of like, it was pretty mental. Uh, Mark Charles Stewart, Dear Friends, all the chat. Yeah, it's, I, I really like Dear Friends, really simple. You know, like I said, <laughs> when I'm dead, they'll find me. <laughs> uh. David Machen. Machen, hearing you play Misplaced Children in Marrakesh was a great day. That was a, that was a funny concert. But we did the gig for Planet Rock. The one thing I always remember about, uh, about that, that gig is when we arrived at this, this wee, wee manky hotel we were, were playing in where everybody was staying with beer at expensive prices. Um, remember, we, we got ushered down to the venue and it was this thing and the stage was like cramped to say the least. And the crew had already warned us about the electrics, so be really careful with that, right? And during the set, Vince O'Malley, Vince, if you're watching, hi, Vince, hi, Michelle. And Vince had, was, gave me a glass of wine mid-performance, and the glass of wine had condensation on the glass. And I've got the mic in one hand, and Vince hands over the, the glass of wine. And I went, to, I went to take the glass off him, and the shock went straight through me, hit Vince, and he went pinged right off the stage into the, into the stage right. <laughs> I'm, I shouldn't laugh, Vince. It was, I know it was a, probably an awful experience, and you're probably still recovering from it. Right? And you'll never touch a glass of Sauvignon Blanc again, will you? Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Blanc, stop! <laughs> uh. Greetings from New York, Charlie B. Hello. Uh, you eardrum to the tracks. I was always a terrible eardrummer. I'm, I bought a. I, I wanted to be a drummer, and there was no way my dad was going to buy me a drum kit. Gordon Feeney, who was a, a big friend of mine, he was the drummer in school. He was the guy that was going to be the drummer in the rock band. He eventually ended up being a flautist, I think. And uh, 
But it was, uh, you know, he had drums out. I always thought I'd find be a drummer. And it was, there was a, oh, what was it called? The Double Deckers was a program. And there was a guy who was really cool. He was a drummer and he used to have sticks and he used to put them in his back pocket. And I went, yeah. So I bought sticks. He used to carry drumsticks out of my back pocket and drum on things to impress the girls. Just going to drum on this for CT. Hi there, I'm at a party and I'm drumming on CT because I'm a musician, you know. <laughs> drummer. Well, I'm, I'm going to be a drummer one day. Drumming like shite to everything, you know. And uh, <laughs> I had these sticks. Uh, anyway, don't know where I am now. Uh, will you do some really in the final final tour? The very last tour, yes, there'll be some songs in there. But it's, uh, yeah, I mean, this is it. That's why I want to do the two two sets. Four hours of material across two shows, right? You come along to the two shows and, you know, you get the, you get the list, you know? Well... Uh, Darren McIntyre, thank you very much. Yeah, Garden Remembrance is, is, is picking up a, a, a lot of plays. If, please spread the news. If people play it on Spotify, it's, it's like it's a stream and it's counted. And, you know, and if you like the column and stuff, if you like what I'm doing, it's great. This is crazy, right? right. Rob Scarron, hello, Rob, right? Rob Scarron said he also does the, the, the website for Stephen Wilson. And he's, he obviously knows what Steve Wilson's done before from his pre-orders and things for his album and stuff like that. And, and uh, he actually said to me, he said, um, on the, the strength of what's happening with the pre-orders and the hits and everything else and the social media kind of maelstrom that's going on out there, he said, going by those numbers, he said, you've got about the same numbers, if not better, than Stephen Wilson had at this stage. And his album went in at number three in the album charts, in the UK album charts. I don't qualify for the UK album charts. We've tried, and James Cassidy, hello James, James has tried to find a way to get us uh, chart eligible, and we can't do it. Um... Uh, we tried to get it through linking up Fuse Metrics and having Fuse Metrics classed as like, you know, the shop and we can't do it. So I could go out and sell enough albums to, you know, have a potential number one with my last album and it will never be in print. Only we will know. So it's going to be interesting to see how many albums are actually, you know, when we see the album mark on the, the week of release and then see what we've done and then, you know, it doesn't bother me that much. I mean, you know, I was talking to Avril McIntosh last night and, I, and the only reason she knows what's the number one album because one of the ones that she was working on has been pipped by, uh, what's her name? The, the blonde lassie for America. And um, uh, so, I mean, it, it's kind of, I mean, I don't read the charts, but I mean, everybody tells me, like, you know, to be able to say number one album in the UK is a great selling point. It is, I'm sure it is, but we'll never know because even though we could actually prove, right, that all these albums were sold, all the pre-orders counted up, and we, we, we gave them the figures on the Friday or whatever of the Velchmerts, all the UK bona fide Velchmerts sales, with everybody's name and address on it, go and contact them and find out if they really bought the album. You know, we'll never know. It's like, but I mean, it's, it's strange that, you know, every, uh, you know, when you send out mail and stuff, it's like you've got, the electronic customs data stickers that says exactly what's in the package, and uh, um, and we can't get our find a way to get become get our numbers in there for the charts, but so be it. Like I said, it would be nice to have a number one album, 
But Garner Remembrance, it's like if you can punt that out and get your friends and things just to, to, to do a stream on it, then those numbers count because there are no seven-inch singles like the old days. I remember, you know, when we used to do, you know, when when we put a single out, you always knew it was going to go kind of in the end of the top 30, right? And because it was you guys that bought it, it was like the fans, the Bonafide fans, all ran out in the first week and bought that single and it propelled it into the charts. And then you kind of hoped that you would get the airplay, you know, you know, the Tommy Vance plays and stuff like that, but you needed the kind of day template to kind of break out in another audience that would, you know, oh, I like that song and da da da. And then having a big machine behind it, you know, as EMI was, you know, to be able to get you into the areas and pull favours and things. I mean, that was why Kaylee became... I mean, Kaylee's a great song, but I mean, Kaylee became a great song because EMI, like, pushed it like a muffer, right? And, um, and it was interesting that, you know, when we put the single out, if first sales, top 40 in, and then you tried to keep it into that top 40, because if you kept it in the top 40 for a couple of weeks then you just might get a chance that the next week you might get the the, 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 the playlist that Radio 1 it was at the end when it was important. And um, so what we would do is you put the 12-inch or you put the picture disc out or keep the picture disc and then you'd have the cassette. So there was all these different formats. And you're only, you were only allowed to have so many different formats and you couldn't really give away stuff to influence the charts. And uh, it was all very different. And now it's streams and digital downloads. So, you know... If you want to help out and stuff, then it would be much appreciated. But as I said, I'm kind of a tad miffed that, you know, my last album, like, you know, nobody will know really, you know, how much it actually sells for the chart position. So anyway, Doug Curran, cheers from Columbus, Ohio. Dario Vitale from Montreal, Canada. Steph Judge and Stacey. Oh, come on, come on, join the double decker. Double deckers were great. I think it was just that whole bus thing that I had. One of the reasons I think I might have a thing about buses, right, is because my grandfather, right, well, ran buses. He, he owned a bus company. And our family very nearly got the licence uh, for the franchise of the Scottish buses to go between Edinburgh and London. And if that had happened, my family history would have been completely different. I would have probably been involved in tour buses rather than singing, maybe, right? Bearing my granddad had loads, had loads of buses, and uh, and I think it's a family thing. And that's why I maybe you know I spent so much of my life on tour buses because it's just a kind of family genetic thing with buses. Right? Jane Chatterton, any dates for the final tour? <laughs> I don't even know where I'm going to be playing next. It's like, as I said, you know, tour dates and everything. I mean, we can we can write them on paper. And nobody knows when they're going to happen. Well, nobody knows when they're going to happen. I mean, uh, it's, uh, I just keep my fingers crossed. But I mean, as I said, if people carry on just di ignoring social distancing rules, ignoring masks, ignoring washing hands, and just carrying on just as it was six months ago, please welcome on stage the second wave. And then we're going to go into the whole thing again, and we're going to go into lockdown, and then we're going to get through the whole bit, and then... You're sitting there waiting on a vaccine, if that's going to work and if they can get enough bits and pieces. So, like, you know, so two questions at this point in time, I'm afraid I can't really answer with hand and heart and say this is where it's at. Yeah. Ah, Johnson. Bill and Blakely, that's insane. 
Hammersmith Odeon, you feel well too, Clive Brenner. Cliff Brenner, yes. I think as a London venue, I think the Hammy Odeon's got to be the one where, you know, yeah. It'd be nice to do a run at Hammy Odeon, you know. It's, you know, if, if there was the demand to do four shows, then that would be nice. But, I mean, the whole idea of the last tour is to have fun, you know. It's, it's to go out and have fun. And um, enjoy singing, enjoy being with people and everything else. And then that's where, you know, after that, walk away. And I still don't know, for the life of me, what the last venue will be. But. Gary Simpson, hope the bald lady from Harrington pips the blonde lassie from America to the top of the charts. Well, so do I. Suit prayer old days, the number one was fiddled. Yeah, we know that. It was, I mean, this was it. I mean, we knew what... There was loads of stuff getting done out there. I mean, we knew that the EMI reps were giving away Boxy's albums to, like, you know, to, 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 to clip up another 12 singles that would get thrown in the back or whatever or, or sold really cheaply. There, there was all sorts of stuff getting done. It was the same. I mean, that was with Kaylee in America. It was the only... I think it was just about the only country in the world where, you know, you know, an English-speaking, you know, big market in the world, it was the only one where Kayleigh wasn't a hit. And that was because the EMI people, and I have to watch what I'm saying, it wasn't EMI, it was capital EMI, right? The capital EMI New York uh, guys, I nearly said mob, <laughs> Freudian slip of the tongue. The capital EMI guys, everybody was using, in America, everybody was using these people to get radio plays, right? And there was a lot of drugs involved and freebies and money and all sorts of stuff. It was called payola, right? And there was a kind of mafia in inverted commas, right? That kind of operated in, amongst the radio stations, getting plays and they, they owned stuff. And it was, it was all, it was bribery, it was payola. It had been around since the 50s. And, um, and lo and behold, Somebody from EMI Capital or Capital EMI got caught handing over a briefcase to somebody who was uh, known to the police, and uh, and um, they were warned, and they got a, an official warning from the RIA of RIA or whatever the, the American kind of chart people, right? And they were they were put on, uh, they were given a yellow card, and th which meant that they couldn't go with Kaylee to all the radio stations and basically buy in and buy the plays and buy all this and do this and bribe this and pay that and do the, if they were doing so, I might say, because allegedly, mm, da -da, you know. So anyway, they couldn't operate like the other, on, on, the, on the same playing field that the other record companies were playing at. Not that I would even suggest for one minute that the other record companies were doing the same or involved in any bribery or corruption within the radio stations circuit of America, right? But basically, Capital EMI couldn't do what the other record companies were doing, right? And they were hamstrung. And that was one of the reasons why Kaylee didn't happen, uh, because we couldn't get the plays at American Radio. And that was what kind of kiboshed. We did get plays in some areas, like Philadelphia, and there were some places that did play, but, I mean, we didn't get the spread. But it was all because of this briefcase issue in New York when somebody was photographed and it was like, it was all hearsay and blah, 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 and allegedly, and I would never dare even suggest that any American record company would ever be involved in it, such an elegance. Thank you very much. That was the message from my sponsor. Um, uh, 
George Corey, you could open the window on those big old Edinburgh London buses. <laughs> uh, double deckers, banana splits, classic Saturday morning TV, Simon Smith. Yes. Uh, the double uh, deckers. Brett Simplot, hello from Seattle. Any memories about playing with Rush? Not that many, to be honest. I remember the tour, but it wasn't anything to do with Rush. So I, I didn't really meet the guys. We played, uh, we went out and played, um, uh, what do you call it? No, Skittles. Um, we, we went a bowling alley with them, with the whole Rush crew. That was a good time. But I mean, we never kind of, we weren't kind of going to the dressing rooms having little natters before gigs or anything like that. We, number one, we were on a tour bus and they were travelling luxury. And, uh, you know, after gigs with the Rush gigs, we were having to play gigs in between the Rush gigs to basically try and get the money in to make the tour less unviable than it actually was. But, um, so I, I don't really know them. You know, I met Gary and as I said, I showed the, the, the autographed album, but you know, I was never a huge fan of Rush. I know this is probably sacrilege and people are going, oh, you can't say that. You can't say that. But yeah, I liked Farewell to Kings and stuff, but I kind of lost the band. It was, it was very technical. And although Neil Pert wrote brilliant lyrics and very clever lyrics, very astute lyrics, you know, I didn't really click with that band, you know. I, it was, it was a bit too musical for me, and um, and I, I, I mean, I totally respected the, the the musicality and like you know admired what they did, but it just didn't touch me, you know. I used to go out and watch Tom Sawyer from beside the stage, and then after that, I'd kind of disappear for a bit and things. But it was, um, but like I said, I, I didn't know them, you know. I mean, it was a. Uh, John Wesley got to know Neil Peart. They used to go hang about a lot. But, I mean, that was way after the thing. Gary Bloomfield, will you play the Friars Club? Is it still there? No, it's not there anymore. It's now the Watermead Theatre or something, the Waterfront Theatre in Aylesbury. And lovely place. You know, the theatre's lovely. Backstage, it was when we were there, it was an absolute tip. And it was, uh, it was like being backstage at Tesco's. Uh, but, um... Yeah, and um, this is oh, no. I'm not going to go down there. It's, uh, yeah, it's a it's a lovely venue. I would have loved to play this at the Civic Centre, but it's down the waterfront, and it's owned by a big theatre group in London, and uh, they've got their own rules regarding you know what bands have to pay when they go there. So I don't know if I'll you know I'll, there's venues I'd love to play, but like there's also like you know there's certain things that I try and avoid, and one of them is paying stupid merchandising. Um, concession fees like I said that's another story I won't go there Rachel if you're watching this you know what's going through my mind at this moment in time uh, Electric set Krakow can't get anywhere Stephen Edmonds I know it's, uh, we don't have it I'll have to get something sorted out with that I've got a bunch of tapes upstairs in the attic some old video things that you know I might sort out Mark Chamberlain she's from Buffalo New York um Newcastle City Hall, Michael Hardy now, Newcastle City Hall. Now, there's a venue I'd like to play, you know. I loved, I, I mean, I've, I've got great memories of being a punter and going to Newcastle City Hall to see Lindisfarne and things like that. And, um, but yeah, Newcastle City Hall. And I'm really glad they saved that venue and it, it's reopened. Um, uh, Michael Van Reenen, Ray from Harlem, Holland. Hello. 
For that one, would you consider two nights in the Cavern last time? No. Cavern Liverpool. Cavern Liverpool was fun, right? But, you know, it was a nightmare gig to play. It was just an absolute nightmare. I remember we had to stop the set because there was no air in the venue. There was absolutely no air. And we had to let people... Go. There, was a, there was an entrance to an underground car park at the side of the... the at the side of the car in the cavern venue right on this like a side door and we had to let people go out and take a break in the underground car park for 20 minutes to get their breath back i mean it was un it was one of the hottest shows i've ever played in my life i mean it was great but it was oh, a little bit much uh, well Stephen Edmonds, Rush by second favourite band. Tim Sycamore, Fisher Friday t-shirts. Yeah, it's um Stuart's taking his time. He's been he's but he's a car, he's a cartoonist, but he's kinda as you can understand, it's like, you know, he's he's got a job and and as well as doing his cartoon work. And uh he's been rather busy. So but we are in contact. He's moving there. I'd say we're probably about 65%, 70% of the way there, Stuart. I know you watch this programme, so uh, you got to get the dungarees, right, Stuart? I'm not wearing them tonight. The dungarees of denim, right? There's that stuff. And the other bits. We'll talk. But it's coming. Fish and Friday shirts are coming. I still don't know what I put in the back, though. It's like, you know, they're putting all the dates. I got it wrong. I thought tonight was the 20th anniversary, and it's not. Uh, tonight is similarly gig number 19. How easy it is to lose count after so long. <laughs> Simon Reeves they went from being yes to being the police in a way don't get me wrong I love them but I get why you aren't a fan yeah. David Gillette Russia like Marmite like him or hate him we like them but not a massive fan Laura Bittman word Rush Heart Ray Rooks Rush is so great yeah I mean I can see oh that was another thing oh talking about all that there was, uh, this is uh, something that was brought up a couple of weeks back, I, I forgot to mention it, um, was the Rockfield Studios um, uh, documentary, which you can still get if, if you're UK and you go into the, the, the BBC iPlayer or whatever it is. And uh, yeah, it was a documentary about Rockfield Studios and I loved it. It was, uh, it was lovely to see. I've got some lovely memories of, of Rockfield. It was, um, funny enough, the Fugazi album. And um, it was where we were. We had uh, did we had Andy Ward was down there for a bit. Um, excuse me. Why? It's this big bloody air digger coming back in it. Huh? We didn't actually work in the studios itself. We were we we were doing the mill house. I worked in the studios. I didn't work in the studios. I went there and got drunk for about four days, five days with Clanad, which was a story I told you about before. We didn't actually do anything or write anything, but we had we had great conversation and a lot, a lot of bevy was passed. Right? But Marillion, we started going down there and uh, it would be, what, 1983... And I think we started going down there. It would be around about April, May time. And that was when Andy, when, when Mike Pointer was fired. And uh, we and Andy came in. And there was some great shots. There were some great shots we did. We did a Sounds magazine article down there. And um, Sounds newspaper, Sounds magazine. 
forgot those papers. It sounds newspaper, right? Um, we did a, a, I think for sounds down there, and we were all larking around in the water, right? And there was some really great, cool photographs. There was a kind of Apocalypse Now kind of version, which I think I've actually, that was a subconscious link to what I used on the cover of Fellini Days. But it was like I had the headband on, it was all water, it was all very kind of, you know, you know, lots of rafting and stuff. And I've already done the story about Mark Kelly and I going down in the inflatable canoe at the pub to meet Robert Plant. <laughs> but I mean, Andy Ward being there, and then Andy Ward not being there, and that was where I first met Ian Mosley. And that's when Ian Mosley joined the band, and that was after Jonathan Mover. So we actually had three drummers in the Millhouse like, over all that time. And uh, Andy Ward being the first, Jonathan Mover being, being the second, and then, and then Ian coming in. And we did, we did a fair bit of writing down there. And um, between, that was all when we were spending stupid money going about using, using rehearsal rooms and stuff. But the, the, the mill house was fantastic. And then seeing it all on the, on the, the, the documentary and then look at all the bands. And of course, this is where the, the circle comes in. Rush did Farewell to Kings, which is supposed to be Farewell to Kingsley, who owns the, the studio. So they did a lot of work down there. And it was, it was great to see the touches. But on the Guardian newspaper article, they had the, the, the photograph from us in the mill pond way back in, in, uh, in 1983 when Andy was in the band, you know. But I remember Mark Kelly with the fireworks. It's like, Mark, who's like a mad scientist, right? And uh, let's get fireworks. Let's see what happens when, let's gaffer tape this firework to this firework. And then why don't we add this one? So like, it's like a secondary rocket stage. So the first rocket goes off and then lights. Like, there were a lot of alcohol and drugs around at the time. And a lot of whiz bangs and frightened cows, believe me. But it was like, you know, you'd be lighter and they'd go, you never knew what was going to happen next. It was like the Mark Kelly box of fireworks trick, you know? Oh. Uh, Port Maddog, Stephen Asbury, hello. Les Neely, any fish, baseball hats or scarves? No, we've, not, we've just got beanies. Beanies, beanies for, for the taps, you know? I've not done baseball hats for a while. It's like, there weren't kind of like huge demand. Nicole got, yeah, John White, Rock City, Nottingham is a must for a farewell tour. Yep, that's a good gig. Um, <laughs> John B. Finn, I was at the Cavern gig and even the beer was boiling. <laughs> Aberdeen Capital was a great venue. Did you like it? Yeah. And when I was in forestry and uh, up in um, uh, Fockhavers, when I was working at Spearmouth Forest, um, we used to go down to the Aberdeen Capital to see gigs, that was the closest gig we could see, which was like 60, 70 mile away. And that was in old roads, right? Not new roads, old roads. And um, I remember going down to see Bebop Deluxe there. I saw, I saw Bebop Deluxe, they were excellent. Bill Nelson was, because that was another band that I found, that was with Alan Freeman, I discovered Bebop Deluxe, the Alan Freeman Saturday show. Um, Jim Hedra, I loved that Rockfield documentary. It was good. It was, a, it was an interesting insight. And I realised, you know, I've always said that it was the, it was the, the manner, which was Fugazi. It was the manner that influenced me to build the Funny Farm recording studios where I wanted a studio that was on a farm and I wanted to have a residential block where the bands could stay and a place where bands could rehearse, bands could record. 
And I've always, I've, I've always kind of like had it in my head and when people have asked me, it was like, well, it was, it was the manner. And I realised after watching the Rockfield Studios thing, it was that, that was what I was trying to get. Um, that was what I was trying to create here at the farm, was the same thing as they had down at Rockfield. And, um, and again, I'm, I'm just glad I closed the studio in 1998 because it was, uh, you know, to see, to, to watch the documentary and you see the heyday when Simple Minds and everything were there and, and uh, Iggy Pop and Oasis and, and, and Rush, they didn't really cover. Hawkwind, they, they did a bit of coverage on. But um, it was uh, it was the heyday of music when people, when you could afford to go in and pay money for recording studios and now it's all changed and everybody's trying to make, al make albums as cheaply as possible. And they're nearly all made in living rooms. And um, apart from, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're going to invest, then you can go and explore. But most albums now, it's like, get them out as cheaply as possible. So studios like Rockfield, you know, their turnover was changing. In the same way as Funny Farm Recording Studios, when the technology developed, and then suddenly everybody was recording living rooms and, and bedrooms and stuff, then when... What happened was we expected an album project to last about six weeks, you know, but suddenly they were only coming here to mix and to use our toy rack or the, all our little toys, all our pieces of equipment to make the sound special and to use our desk and to use our, monitor, our big monitors and things. So you weren't picking up six week long projects, you're only picking up something for two weeks. And then with that, you've got to turn over more racks and it became so much more difficult and, you know, it's just, like I said, it's changed. and. It was kind of great to see Rockfield in its heyday and it was kind of sad to see that, you know, how, like all of us, you know, everybody's kind of struggling, you know. Stephen Carter, hi Fish, how did you inform Marillion that you were leaving them? I wrote them a letter and sent it to them by taxi. Mm. Uh... Gary Lee, how did your appearance singing Caledonia before the NFL Europe World Bowl at Hamden in 2003 came about? Yes, I did. The Europe World Bowl at Hamden. And I went out and sang Caledonia. Uh, they wanted somebody to sing uh, a Scottish song before it. And I went up and did Caledonia. And just like the Wembley uh, Euro um, Scotland-England game, it was another one of those Brown Cotteroy moments. It was uh, very moving. Uh -huh. Will you play the Philharmonic in Liverpool? I don't know. Eddie Richards, High Fish, there is another venue in Aylesbury. It's called the Limelight Theatre at Queen's Park. It only seats 120, but it could be fun. I think 120 seats on my farewell tour doing two nights, I think, might be a little bit small. Oh. And as all said, I'll duck that one. Uh... Drew Watson, first saw Marillion at Sheffield City Hall and script tour, loved that tour shot. Couple of mates were going, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Sheffield. Sheffield was like my bogey gig. Um, I think that was the tour, or it might have been the 84 tour. Um, I used to do the, the thing with the, the radio microphone. I had a radio microphone. Freedom! And I used to go around the balconies, and I used to run around the balconies, and Paul Lewis, the tour manager, he used to run after me and he'd have the mag light and making sure it didn't trip over things. And it'd be like, run the balcony, hello, my kids, wait, and Margaret. And when we did Margaret, I used to go up with Margaret, you know, da, 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 run the balconies. Then you, I'd always, after sound check, check out my route. 
So check it, how did I get from here? Well, you've got to go through the stalls and then you've got through into the circle, blah, 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 and up through this and into the bit and up there. And these are the stairwells. And um, I was running back towards stage in the Sheffield City Hall. And uh, there was a big sign above the stairwell, in the stairwell that I was going down to the stage. And it had these red and black markers and stuff saying, beware. And I missed the beware thing. And I smacked my head straight off this uh, concrete step. And I was sparkled on the floor. And it's like, I've got up. And there was blood pissing at my head. And I had to wear, I had, I had to wear this towel like a bandana. And it was all blood and stuff. And I ran down the stage and did the last kind of like, da da da, pizza wise, da da blah blah. And the band didn't even notice, right? They, they didn't think, well, why is he wearing a bloodied towel on his head? Right? And, uh, and it was like, I finished the song, and as soon as I came off, there was paramedics were there, and they just said, <laughs> ambulance, away. <laughs> Luckily, I didn't need any stitches, but I clattered myself. And then Sheffield City Hall, I think it might have been the misplaced tour, correct me if I'm wrong. And I did the sound check, and... Everything was fine. And I went back to, we got in the, went to go back to the hotel to pick up our stage clothes and stuff. And uh, so we went back to pick up the bits and have a shower before we came back to the gig. And on the way back from the gig to the hotel, after sound check, my voice disappeared. In the same way as it did on, I think it was the 13 Star Tour when I, I lost it in, at Manchester. And I got viral laryngitis, which is a really creepy bug, right? And basically, one minute, you're talking to me like this, and the next was And that's what happened. And I got to the hotel room, and I couldn't work out what had happened to me. And I was like, I'm going, and I'm phoning up the bank, going, and I had to go back to the, and they said, oh, you'll be all right, we'll, we'll, we'll get something for you, right? We'll get a steroid for you. And it's like, and they went, nah. And uh, I couldn't sing. And um, I had to walk out on stage at Sheffield City Hall before the gig. And the support band had, I think, been on. And I had to walk on and say, I'm really sorry, but the gig's off, I can't sing. And it was like, it was, that was a really awful moment. And you've got like, what, nearly 3,000 people in Sheffield City Hall. And it's like, you know, and they're going, what? <laughs> it's, a, it's a joke, isn't it? <laughs> it's a joke. Right. No, I couldn't sing. I had vinyl laryngitis and lost my voice for three, four days. And um, it was a, a really kind of strange time. But vinyl laryngitis, I've had, I've had it two or three times. In fact, I've had it more than that, about three, five times. And it's, it's just immune system run down and this virus hits you. You can't do a thing about it. All you've got to do is rest, drink water, and do it with time. Well, but yeah, Sheffield. And another one in Sheffield, I got boils in both my ears. I went to get my ears syringed in, in Sheffield uh, City Hospital, and it was in the days when they allowed, to, they, they, they did that syringing, where they put the big syringe in and go, and send the water in. I mean, they don't do it now. I mean, insurance doesn't cover that. But back in the day, it was a great big, metal syringe and it pumped water in really slowly, warm water to get the wax out of use. And they cut both my ears and the syringe wasn't disinfected properly. And I got boils inside my ears. They were the most excruciating thing I ever had. So like Sheffield, there was a whole, there's, a whole, there's other stuff happened there. 
And it was like my boggy gig, and I used to get really nervous every time we went to Sheffield. Like, you know, it's like, you know, you get followed by the spectral shadow. I'm here for you again. The show won't happen, will it? Well, oops, quarter two. Charlie, uh, da da da. Nags Head Monmouth, Clark McSpain, yeah, the Nags Head Monmouth. Um, great bar. Steve Lawrence, what's your number one soccer team? My number one soccer team is Hibernian Football Club. And we won against Kilmarnock 2 1. And it was really strange being here because Simone and I have got season tickets. So we get a code to watch the games. And I managed, even with my tech on savviness, to unravel the conundrum to get into the site to watch Hibs Kilmarnock. And I managed to get in and just a minute after uh, Hibs had scored. But it was really weird watching your team and then you've got all the cut-out figures. And I was going to get one and I missed the chance. And um, all the cut-out figures and nobody in the stadium. And it was it was really strange. And, uh, and we've got this cup semi-final coming up against Hart and Midlothian, our big rivals in the city of Edinburgh, at the end of October. And it's, it's just oh, it's too bizarre. Anyway, I promised to pay something else. And it's been requested, so... I'm going to do another another bit of vinyl for you now. So uh, this is, um, I'm going to play you This Party's Over. So this song is called This Party's Over and um, features Mr. David Jackson on saxophone and whistles. Uh, that's the pigeon. The pigeon says, hey, bugger off! Well, don't disrupt the session. So... I'm going to go up and do this. This is going to be a track. It's going to go uh, radio in um, September when the album comes out. Phono. Take it up to 33 to third, Captain. Don't you hear when the needle falls off the edge? This part is over.
New Valtschmerz album, Happy Fish, where are you at? Very good, Pure Donau, Fish Music, that's got my sight. Blah, 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 blah. Just hearing that, you can see the crowd, can you? you? You just, you know, when, by the time I get to see you in the flesh, and you can talk to me as well, it's, uh, you'll all know that. And it's like, I'm just, again, like I said last week, I'm just so looking forward to walking out on that stage to that microphone and giving it Yaldi, or giving it Laldi. And it was, uh, I just have to wait. But yeah, it's, it's a great live song, I love it. And it's, um, it's uh, the video's really good. Miles Copeland's done a, a great wee video for it, but that's on the, the Blu-ray, the deluxe version. Yeah. And so, it's eight minutes. Hmm. <laughs> I think I can find that. That was really good. Oh no, what's that? Oh, what's that? that was a comment about me being at a Hibs Hearts game standing behind somebody with a big black coat and he thought I was picking his pocket. So. So any quick ones I can just finally flutter away with? Um, no. The one thing, darling. What's for dinner? Please welcome on stage, Simona. Hello. Hello. Um, uh, German mince. Mince sauce, um, potatoes, and our first kohlrabi. Oh, we've got kohlrabi. Yeah. Is it rainy? Yeah. Kohlrabi that we grew in the garden. It's, um, it's, it's great. It's a great vegetable. And um, it's, it's part of the brassica family, and it looks like an alien. It's, uh, it grows up in four stalks, and you've got this bulb like a turnip and the greens. It's really nice. And it's white sauce. You don't know. Oh, look, see. 
You thought I was joking. Can I? Three-legged dog. Bindi. So that's Bindi. There you go. You thought I was joking about the three-legged dog. There is a three-legged dog here. It's not ours, it belongs to the neighbours. But he comes in here every night and eats first. <laughs> oh, what's the difference? As I'm sure some of you will be asking. What's the difference between German mince and tatties and Scottish mince and tatties? Mince with sauce, what's that? We, we just call it gehackte sauce and we got gehackte sauce. And my grandmother used to make it with just fry the onion, brown the, brown the mince. And then I cover it with a little bit of uh, white flour. Put many herbs in, very important is oregano, pepper, salt and herbal salt. And then you fill it up with water, only a little bit. So just as mm -hmm. much as you like it to be to thicken. <laughs> I like Gentlemen. it. It's good, yeah. it's good. It's different. No. Until we draw to close. There was one um, question that came in. Uh, I wanted. I, I thought I'd answer this because I've not done it. It was where is it? Did it? Oh no! This is from um, Rene Lambert. Hello, Herfish. Ich bin Deutscher. Ich hoffe, der Facebook Übersetzer wird übersetzen. Hast du schon einmal darüber nachgedacht, mit Marillion noch einmal ein Abschiedskonzert zu geben für alle Marillion Fischfans? Das war sicher für alle Fans von Marillion und Fisch ein Träum. Nein. <laughs> That's good mates, what I said. Um, and that's it. Here we are, the end of another Fishing Friday. And um, the airdinger is empty. I can hear the cooking in the kitchen. It's time to move on. So this was show number 19. And next week is number 20, 20th anniversary. And um, so I'll do the same thing next week with the tracks, an old track and a, a new track. I should have the, we, I get the vinyl for the, the, the missing side of vinyl, which had the Gardener Remembrance track, which you may remember I said we had to redo. That's been sorted out. And, um, and uh, so I'll be able to play that for you next week. Um, and... An older track, I'll put up another five. You can give me hints, but I mean, uh, there's, some, I'll, there's some I know I can spread a story around and there's other things, you know, where I can tag things onto and other ones that are just kind of a bit too straightforward to answer. So what I'll do is I'll put up ones. Next week, I'll put up another five that I've got a couple that were voted on this week, right? And obviously, Cradle comes off and then we'll just see where it goes. Um, but the weekend approaches, I've got to plant carrots, I've got to sow some carrot seed because it's getting towards the end. I've got to sow some salads and radishes because I need to get them in before it, the weather all turns. But it's supposed to be heat waves, so I might even get a chance to cut the grass, get on the little mini tractor, get the headphones on and have a wee shuffle about on the green. Um, and uh, that's it. Just remember, right, some of you may be thinking, mass, like, you know, don't wear them, don't like them, don't maybe wear them. Wear them, listen to what people are saying about the social distancing. As I said, there you've got Aberdeen back in lockdown and it's and that happened in the space of three days. And as long as that continues, 
you know, myself and my fellow musicians and crew and all the other entities that work within the live music area, we won't be working until this is completely under control and we're able to go out and play to real people again. So please listen, it's not stupid. It's like kind of all those rules are there for a reason. And the more you do and the more care you take now, the quicker we can get back to doing what we all love to do. So until next week, wherever you are, I know some of you are going to be in pretty bad vibe situations in the next week, two weeks. We're having your lockdown put back on you again and all the rest of it. But for everybody out there, uh, Americas, Brazil, Chile's, Argentina, New Zealand, Australia, all across the UK, Germans, Finns, Norwegians, blah, blah, blah. Take care and stay alive and just be safe and think, okay? Lots of love. See you next week. Bye.